Fantastic. Hello and welcome to the second International Journal of Gynecological Cancer's Mentors podcast with us, the Editorial Fellows. I am Anna Collins from the University Hospitals of Leicester in the UK. And with me is Nico from Polyclinic Ocean in Rome, PK from the University of Navarra in Spain, Irina from Medical Innsbruck University in Austria, Alex from Kinshasa University Hospital in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and Arthur from National Taiwan University Hospital in Taiwan. And today we have the great pleasure of interviewing Professor Dennis Kalu. So I'm gonna ask Nico to introduce your colleague, mentor and friend. So it's a great pleasure and honor for me to present uh, uh, my mentor, uh, Professor Dennis Kerle. I have the privilege and the honor to be here in person with him. We, he, he, oh, we all know him. He is a giant of gynecologic oncology. He is uh, the past president of European Society of Gynecologic Oncology, and he is uh, the author of many, many uh, milestone publications in gynecologic oncology and cervical cancer, as well, as well as the main author of the classification of the radical hysterectomy that we today are using to classify and standardize radical hysterectomy for cervical cancer. Uh, today, I have to say that I have also the pleasure to work with Professor Curleau here at Polyclinico Gemelli as he, after his retirement, his enthusiasm and passion led him to do another adventure here with us. And we have the opportunity to learn from him every day in Rome. So it's a, really a unique opportunity that you are giving to us. And I, I thank you for being here and thank you for being here on behalf of International Journal of Gynecological Cancer to give us the opportunity of doing this interview. Thank you very much, uh, Nico. Thank you. Thank you all. Very happy and nice to meet you. Hope that one day it will be uh, with a glass of wine face to face <laughs> rather than, than via, via screen. Um, and I'm very happy to speak uh, to you from, from Rome. Really, Gemelli is a fantastic place and where, where all the principles we, we will discuss are really implemented. And uh, I, I love this. So I'm waiting your, your questions. <laughs> yeah, we have Kike doing the first set of questions. Okay, hello, Professor Kele. First of all, no. I would like to thank you for being here today with us. As Nicolo said, I think it's a great opportunity to learn more about your extensive career, which has been a great inspiration to all of us. So in this sense, I was wondering what led you to gynecology, oncology, and also would you still choose this specialty? Thank you. Oh, thank you for the kind words. Um, it's, it's very simple. When, when I was a resident in obstetric and gynecology, Actually, I chose uh, OBGYN just because at that time it was a huge and wide specialty where we could do uh, surgery, endocrinology, obstetrics, everything. That's something that is not done any longer and it's good for patients, you know. But it, it was interesting because it was wide. But um, when I make, made a rotation at the cancer center in Lille in Northern France, uh, I was really very enthusiastic with gynecologic oncology. And actually this place was the only place where the residents in, um, in obstetric and gynecology could do surgery by themselves and be taught surgery. So that's the reason. So I spent three rotations there. And uh, I left this place convinced that I would do uh, gynecologic oncology. 
which I have not I have not been successful at the beginning because at that time it was impossible to sub-specialize upfront. <laughs> okay, so thank you very much for the interesting answer. I don't think any of us were aware of this, so thank you. In addition to this, I would like to know also how did the, the need to, to update the classification of radical hysterectomy arise? And also, how was the, the experience of working with uh, another giant, Professor Morrow? Um, there are two, two questions in, 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 uh, in one. Actually, what, what happened is that uh, I've been uh, uh, lucky to be invited by Paul Morrow uh, in Japan, um, Paul Moore was collaborating with uh, Professor Fuji. You all know Professor Fuji, uh, who is very famous for his technique of nerve sparing radical hysterectomy. And, and uh, the, both of them uh, organized a kind of, of a symposium uh, in Kyoto with the collaboration of, of uh, many, many experts in the world. So, Paul Moore, I, I knew him before, I will tell you why and how. Um, invited me. So I said it's a fantastic opportunity to uh, to accomplish my dream and my dream was to create a classification of radical hysterectomy uh, because I was not happy at all with the PIVA classification for years. But it, this has been the opportunity. You have to be patient and to wait the opportunities. This was the opportunity thanks to Paul Moore. But you, you are also asking me uh, about, about uh, uh, Paul Moreau himself. Actually, Paul Moreau, uh, I don't know if you know this uh, textbook of surgery in gynecologic oncology. It's an old book. You, you have it. Wow, that's fantastic. It's, it has been my Bible. Okay, so. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Great speaker. Exactly. And uh, on top of this, he has written a, a textbook of, of surgical technique. And it was really my Bible. In, in addition, Paul Moore was, uh, uh, was a mentor of a good friend of mine, Michel Roy from, from Quebec, and also a friend of Daniel Dargent. So I got acquainted with Paul Moore uh, via, via both of them. Thank you. Um, and I, I think we're going to go back to Nico now for the next question. So thank you, Anna. Uh, thanks uh, again, Professor Perleu, for sharing your experience with us. Uh, I was wondering, 13 years after the first description of the Curleu Morrow classification, and four years after the update of this classification, do you feel gynecologic oncologists around the world have well interpreted the standardization of radical hysterectomy as you meant at that time? To be honest, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. And the main reason is that many, many surgeons have one technique, their technique. They think it's the best technique. And they think that the other do a wrong technique. And you know how surgeons are. Um, but um, that's not the most important. The most important is that probably there is a, a, a mis, um, misunderstanding, a conceptual mistake about classification. Because classification is not, is not a technique. Mm. It's not how to do it. It's not a guideline. It's not why to do it. It's simply a description. It's a description and it's a standardization, not of the surgery, but of its, of its des description. And it's necessary to speak to each other. I've done a radical hysterectomy, which one? 
okay? And also to, um, uh, to uh, document uh, publications and also to prepare randomized study or prospective studies because we have to define what we are doing. That's the goal of classification. So many things that it's a guideline, it's not. Many things it's a technique, it's not. But it is, um, it is, uh, it is as it is, but uh, I think it is still, uh, it is still uh, uh, useful. Uh, to, to be honest also, I think that many people who use the private classification have not read the original paper either. So the, the classifications are transmitted from, from master to, uh, to fellow and from fellow to another fellow, but uh, the, the meaning is lost in the way. So please go, always go to, back to the original publication. Thank you so much. Thanks for the also this. Mm -hmm. Ground. Uh, the next question I would like to ask is uh, what will be the future of surgery for early stage cervical cancer? Is less radical surgery possible for these patients? Radical hysterectomy type A versus B, sentinel lymph node only versus lymphadenectomy. How do you feel will be the landscape about early stage in the future? Uh, um... What, uh, what is happening is that uh, uh, the, the key word is tailoring. Uh, another word is less radical hysterectomy whenever possible, because we you know, all know the complication and long-term side effects of, of radical hysterectomies. And that's, that's really is a big, big question uh, about, about the future. But we, we all know that the tailoring principle is already used uh, in, in clinical practice. We, we all know that uh, eight millimeter cervical cancer with no LDSI do not require a huge operation with long-term side effects. So it's already done. Um, and that's the reason the, this low-risk cervical cancer is exactly the reason why I've tried to design what I call the type A, which is, which is not the modified radical hysterectomy, but which is not a simple hysterectomy. It's an hysterectomy done by a gynecologic oncologist, arbitrarily halfway between the cervix and the ureter, but the distance is not really the issue. The issue is to remove in total the, the cervix. So that, that's, I think that's a, that's a modern concept. Uh, having said that, you, you know that there is no evidence of anything in tailoring. We don't have randomized study on, on in any, any kind of cervical, uh, cervical cancer. We are waiting the, um, the results of the SHAPE study, uh, I, you know, but uh, I, my prediction is that it will show no difference between, between two, two techniques that are really not different. Because uh, gynecologic oncologists do really complete simple hysterectomy outside, outside the service, not the fascia, the fascia does not exist but they do something which is larger than a simple hysterectomy by a general gynecologist. And on the other hand, I, I suspect that many, many modified radical hysterectomies are actually kind of type A. I've seen so many videos or so many, especially laparoscopic videos of non-radical radical hysterectomies, if you see what I mean. So probably it's the same. And it's not again the shape study, but there will be a risk after the shape study is that general gynecologic with no knowledge about cancer manage early cervical cancer. Mm -hmm. I, I, I suspect there will be disasters about preoperative workup, interpretation of MRI, and so on and so on. 
but let's let's wait. Thank you, thank you, and thanks for letting us think about these concepts. Um, my further question is about minimally invasive surgery in cervical cancer. Will the minimally invasive approach be feasible again for these patients outside of a clinical trial protocol? Or will our generation see it? Or we, you think we will need to completely abandon it following the results of the well-known LAC trial? Um, personally, I will continue to do it. So, for example, a patient with a, a cone biopsy in Sano with no active disease. I, do, I, don't see, I don't see why we would generalize, extrapolate the result of the LAC study for, for this kind of specific patient. Anyway, uh, it's, it's clear that, um, that there will be uh, further studies we need. We need other randomized studies. You know, in medical oncology, we need at least two trials to conclude that, that uh, a, drug, a drug is, is, is efficient and active for the patient. And it's the same in surgery. We, there are ongoing randomized studies. And, and they are needed, and um, we need them for two reasons. Either to generalize or to say that LAC study is valid for all cervical cancer patients, so forget laparoscopic or minimal invasive surgery, or uh, more likely just to, um, to select subgroups where it, is, it may be detrimental and other sub subgroups where it may be, it may be uh, still, still applicable. So we, we really need studies. But not only randomized study, but also prospective registries with, with ethical conditions. So that's that's a condition that in, in, in our center we can continue, but at the conditions that all patients are recorded with ethical ethical uh, uh, requirements, uh, informed consent, uh, and so on and so on. And also, and finally, which is even more important, that all this. Uh, uh, minimal invasive radical hysterectomies are done with basic, basic uh, laparoscopic rules in oncology, which, which is a basic rule is no contamination. And with another basic rule of radical hysterectomy, which is quality control. So both are absolutely necessary. So at these two conditions, I think we can, we can continue with, with obvious precautions, but uh, we can continue. But as you say, um, in the uh, in the setting in the setting of very strictly controlled uh, conditions. Thank you. Thanks for these uh, very nice answers. And I will give the word back to Anna for the next questions. Yep. So we're going to go to Alex now for his questions. Thank you, Professor Kerle, for being with us at this moment. You had the opportunity to lead ESGO some years ago. So my first question is, as past president of ESGO, what were your highlights at this time? And what do you learn from this experience? Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Uh, it's, it's very nice to have this question from outside Europe, <laughs> but, but uh, we are, I know, we are, we are brothers, Europe and Africa. Um, actually, I, I've loved this year with, with years ago, and I've been very lucky because it was really a golden age for, for the years ago. 
CSGO uh, has grown, not only in number of members, but uh, on products, services, a new e-academy. I hope that you, you love it because we have worked a lot to, to make it better and more, more user-friendly and more useful, uh, not only for young people, but also for all who want to, want to learn. And I've seen the ESGO becoming, becoming influential. You know, uh, at the beginning, many, many uh, societies are only members who do not contribute at all. They are just members, they, they pay the fee annually. And also societies organize meetings. They make money with organized meeting and they pay the travel expenses of the board with the meeting. And that's, that's uh, I'm exaggerating, but it like this. It's not the ESGO. The ESGO is really influential and, and, and uh, gives, gives a, I would say, a, a service. And uh, during this year, we have developed uh, the, the guidelines, uh, quality indicators, certification for, for, for surgery. And I think that, um, that it's, it has been really, really a, a fantastic uh, achievement. I love and I know that uh, and I, I see that all these projects are ongoing, continuing and developing without me. And that's, uh, that's really, really uh, very good. Uh, and what I've learned personally is that uh, uh, it's, it's a true, it's been always better to work uh, uh, with, uh, without ending people with a team spirit. So it's, it's always true, but it's, I, it confirmed this year, confirmed to, to me that it's really the best way, the best way to, to produce something that is useful at the end of the day for, for, for the patients. Thank you for these valuable answers. And secondly, in the same scope, may I ask you, what is the value of being a member of a professional organization such as ESDO or IGCS for a young gynecologic oncology fellow? You, you could have uh, added ENIGO because uh, ENIGO is a, is, a, is a fantastic group. And it's, it's, it's crucial, it's crucial. Uh, I think that uh, young or old, um, it's absolutely necessary to remain an isolated genius, okay? And, uh, and we, have to, we have to speak with others, we have to meet others, we have to understand the perspective of others, uh, we use other techniques, other tips, uh, and the key word is, is to, to learn from others. And it's abs absolutely necessary. And also it's, it's so good to, to work with, uh, with, with friends, you know, to, to make friends all, the, all over the world uh, and to create a, a, a mindset that will, that will stay, remain for four years. So it's, it's absolutely essential to, to be a, a member of something, but to rather to be an active member as you, as you are, all of you. Thank you, Professor. Thank you, yeah. We, we're certainly learning from your wisdom and enjoying the friendship we have over this fellowship. So um, my question is, um, you're admired by all of us, not only for your wisdom, but also your skill as a surgeon, especially in minimally invasive surgery. How do you think the skill of a junior surgeon can be improved? Uh, no, nobody is a genius. Uh, you know, you know the, the word, nobody is perfect. 
but uh, I would say no, nobody, nobody is a, is a genius. Um, really, I'm personally, I, I, I feel myself as an average surgeon. And the message is an average surgeon can improve for, uh, with, with many, many tools. The first tool is that to realize that we have to think our surgery, not just doing with the fingers, thinking that the figures, fingers are run by the brain, okay? So really thinking what you are doing is, is really very important. To uh, realize that uh, there is no age to improve and there is no age to, to where we have to stop to learn. We learn every day, every new case, every encounter with others, every video that we see, we, we learn. And it's, it's really an endless process. And that's uh, the only way to, to, to keep young. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and the other question I had is, what do you look for in a fellow or trainee that, that goes to work alongside you? Um, one, enthusiasm, uh, passion to learn. Okay, that's, uh, I have the passion to teach. So I like to meet people who have the passion to learn. And at the end of the day, they will teach me, okay, for sure. Because there is a point too. Um, I, one of my, my best rewards is to identify young people uh, who I'm sure they will be better than me at the end of the day. So it's, it's really absolutely, absolutely crucial. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, really, really, really uh, very important. And uh, also, um, we are uh, in something uh, that was in my notes, okay. Um, is that uh, I, in uh, the, the, the personality of, uh, of a fellow, uh, what I appreciate most is respect. Respect for colleagues, respect for, respect for patients, team spirit. And I think that's really, it's very important. You, you cannot really esteem a fellow or a colleague in general who is very good surgically, who is very knowledgeable, knowledgeable but does not respect others. Okay, fantastic. I'm sure we've all been writing all these points down. <laughs> um, I'm gonna hand over to Irina now for the next question. Thank you, Anna. So I would like to thank Professor Kalur for uh, joining us today. It's really a pleasure to having this conversation with you. And I think we are all very, very lucky that you joined us today. So I would like to ask you, do you think surgeons are born or made? And do you think that um, everybody can become a skilled surgeon by practice? That's a um, uh, very good question, and it is evidence-based. Um, maybe 20 years ago, uh, an Irish surgeon, uh, Irish professor of surgery, have designed a tool to evaluate um, um, residents, beginners residents, for uh, laparoscopic surgery. Okay, it's an objective tool. And the conclusion of the study was that there is approximately, I don't remember exactly the figures, but there are 10% of geniuses. I've met geniuses in my, in my fellows, okay? So it's clear they, they do exist. 
there are 10% of people that are really very bad and, and cannot improve. And it's, it's, it's a case and the conclusion of this teacher that I discourage them to continue doing surgery. It's, it's fair you know, for these people, fair for the patient, but also for these people who will be uncomfortable all over their life. Fortunately, in our specialty, you can do something else and that's okay. But in the middle, 80%, there are people that are very good and can improve, and people that are fair and can improve, but not to the highest level. So it's really objective. Uh, and I think that this uh, classification can be self-used. Mm -hmm. Clearly, maybe with the help, with the help of so someone who is objective and friendly. Uh, but if you, at the end of the day, 90% can achieve something. So it's a good, it's a good percentage. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for this answer. And my other question is, um, what is an important leadership lesson that you have learned during your career and how has it proven invaluable? Uh, there have been, of course, uh, Good, um, good, 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 and bad thing. Because uh, when you are when you are the head of a department, you you are confronted with with uh, uh, with egos. We are confronting with greed. Sometimes people just just want just want uh, uh, money. Something also disappointing is that uh, uh, some universities or or university hospitals are not completely dedicated to progress, innovation, really, and real, real quality. As there are so many political, political issues or hidden, hidden agenda um, that it, it can be, it can be uh, uh, disappointing at times. So these are the obstacles. On the on the other hand. Uh, I think that what what is really well rewarding is this is this uh, job, is that we can only do it with teams, and uh, another key word is team spirit. So it's uh, it's so so clear that uh, there are no recipes for this. It's only it's only a, it's only a mindset. So it's a spirit of a soccer team. The goal is to win. Okay. And we are together to do to do it, and really that's the mindset we have to we have to 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 to, to maintain. So it's it's a friendship. It's kind of generosity. We have to be generous with others, uh, forgive their mistakes, or, or help them without without waiting any 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 counterpart. Uh, but to achieve this, I think the first and that the role of the of the leader is to. Um, to establish um, a shared objective. Okay. And objective is the role of the leader, but shared is also the role of the leader. So it's kind of, of shared leader, leadership in team. Okay. It's not Wonderful. only one, it's, it's, I think it's a reality. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much. Excellent answer. Okay, fantastic. And our final questions are from Arthur. Um, so, uh, Pro Professor Carlo, it is really a great honor to speak with you. Uh, so, uh, during um, 
During the career of a young gynecologic oncologist, there are often some obstacles and uh, depressions that one face. Uh, can you share with us what's the most unexpected obstacle you've had to face? Because I remember you just said that during the development of these classifications, you had to be patient. And could you share some sort of story or uh, how did you overcome these obstacles? Thank you. Uh, it's, it's clear that uh, uh, nothing, nothing comes fast, you know. The more important it is and the slower it is. And uh, uh, it's, it's quite often very disappointing to see that good ideas are not, are not uh, accepted, that the buying is not what you, you would expect. But we have to be consistent. We have to be consistent and continue. And uh, uh, like um, I mentioned, the, the objective, the share objective. If if we have a clear a clear objective of, of where we are going, we have to go there in ten years. So we have time. We have time. Uh, as I said, sometimes there are obstacles that are really regrettable because it's it's a human factor, the human factor of people who are who don't like you or don't want you to go, and that's. Uh, that's uh, that's a fact, okay. But never, never get, uh, never get uh, irritated, uh, and you continue. You have to continue. You have to continue, and to and to to hold to hold uh, your 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 rope. You know. Uh, it's you not. So. It's not easy. Day-to-day <laughs> -day practice for, for anyone, even even as a, as a chair, as a head of department, seeing things that are not going as fast as we would as we would like, is disappointing. But uh, it's it's uh, life for everyone. Look at the politicians. Uh, it's usually said we don't like politicians, but uh, but they give us uh, lessons because they all promise many things. Sometimes they really think what they promise. Some of them promise what they know they cannot give, but uh, that's another story. But some of them are honest people and they want to do things. And after, after uh, five or, or four years of term, they see, that they, they see that they have not succeeded for many, many reasons. And some of them continue and think and try to achieve something at the end of their life. Um, it is really hard to imagine someone in your status that has these difficulties, but uh, since even you said so, that we have to be persistent, have perseverance, then it's really encouraging for the young generation. Thank you. And uh, I'd like to ask uh, one last question. Um, what do you think oncology or G1 oncology would, be, would look like in 10 years from now? Uh, do you have uh, any kind of vision that you could share with us? Thank you. Uh, a French humorist used to say it's very dangerous to make predictions, especially when they concern the future. <laughs> uh, anyway, having said that, I have one, one conviction is that surgery is here to stay. Uh, all my life, I've seen people saying, oh, with radiation therapy, surgery is, the, is dead. 
oh, with medical oncology, with chemotherapy, surgery will be dead. And now with immunotherapy or whatever. And it's not true, it never happened and it will never happen. Just because uh, surgery is really the cornerstone of the management of early cancer, derived from early diagnosis, for, from screening and so on and so on. So it's, it's here to stay. So predicting the future is saying surgery will be there. At the same time, surgery has to change. Uh, and uh, uh, to, uh, to continue the efforts to improve quality. So in 10 years, uh, I'm almost sure, or it's doing, but also uh, I'm almost sure it will come, that surgery will be mainly done in centers with quality assurance. So it will be a quality assurance surgery, and it's really very important. And, uh, and if you think that uh, I always, I, quite often I think that it's really a shame to spend thousands, thousands of euros or dollars or whatever to salvage a patient with very expensive drugs when the primary treatment has been completely missed just because the surgeon was not good. So the first effort is that screening, early diagnosis, and, and proper management of, uh, of early disease. And that, I think that's the future of gynecology, gynecologic oncology. And if we are lucky, there will no longer be uh, um, advanced stages or recurrences. recurrences there will always be. But it's, it's a shame when recurrences are due to mismanagement at the beginning of the story. Thank you so much, Professor Kuro. Uh, really appreciate your uh, perspective. Um, and that, that's all of our questions. Um, I'm feeling really motivated after this discussion. Um, and I've learned a lot that I'm going to take forward into my practice. Um, so I just wanted to thank you on behalf of all of us and of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer for participating. Um, but really, I want to say thank you for your contribution to this field. And thank you for improving the lives of so many women who have got uh, gynecological cancers. Um, I'm sure they will all feel very indebted to you. Thank you very much. I, 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 I believe that we could continue the conversation for hours, you know, because there are so many things to say, so many answers, good or bad, to, uh, to complete or, or, to, or to amend. So with that, I would like to uh, thank Professor Curlet on behalf of the fellows, on behalf of uh, the patients, on, on behalf of the, all the colleagues that uh, had the opportunity to learn from you. I really, I really am thankful and I admire so, mu so much the passion, the enthusiasm, the optimism, I, which we can feel at distance. I, I'm sure you can all, all feel how Professor Curlet is so uh, passionate and enthusiastic toward gynecological oncology and toward improvement in patients' care. Everything we, we can do to improve patients' quality of life and survival, I'm sure Professor Kerler is transmitting to us, and I'm very thankful for that. Really grateful to have the opportunity of learning from you, and, and I hope this opportunity will last very long. Thanks.